Our first reading today, which will serve as the text for the sermon, comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading today comes from John chapter 17, verse 11, and verses 21 through 24. Jesus prays, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. God's grace and that bond of peace be with us today as we celebrate the unity that God gives us in our church. Amen. You know, when I lived in St. Louis, there was a, a local church that had a big sign out in front of it and it said, Church under construction, excuse our mess. I like that. Because as a church, we are always under construction. Even as individuals, we never quite arrive. God is still working in us and through us. And excuse the mess, yeah, that happens too. Especially as we live on this side of heaven in a sinful world, there's always going to be messiness. And especially uh, as we think about our own church. Here we are at Cornerstone Lutheran Church with three physical sites at CLC Indy. Fishers and Carmel. And then when you add on top of that, this weekend we're adding our online site. Uh, and when you think about the complexities of all that, you might possibly say to yourself, this is crazy. Uh, this church could be a real mess. How can we really be a church that is unified and carry out the mission that God has given to us? Well, today is our kickoff weekend of our new ministry year. And traditionally, we have a weekend like this where, you know, vacations are over, uh, kids are back in school, we're back kind of in a fall routine, and it's time to come back strong and to celebrate God's grace together. Well, this year is different, isn't it? Uh, our in-person worship attendance is really less than a third of what we had before the pandemic started. Uh, we've missed seeing so many of you and and uh, we we just miss the encouragement that we have in person with one another and yet we thank God for our technology 
So many of you have been turn, tuning into our ministry uh, remotely. Uh, some of you from other parts of our country and even around the world watching either our taped worship services and nurture opportunities or, on, or, or uh, uh, in person uh, online at the time of the service. It also means that the good news of God's saving grace in Christ is being, is being shared with some people who would never darken uh, the, 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 the place of a church. They would never come inside a church building. But the Holy Spirit amazingly is using the gospel to touch their lives and to create faith in their hearts. Here at Cornerstone, we see this as a golden opportunity because not only has God given us this exciting mission to reach, care, and build people to be more like Jesus, but he's also given us the resources and the gifts of God's people here at Cornerstone to expand our ministry in ways that we never dreamed of before this pandemic hit. And so we praise God. And I just want to say I thank God for all of you. Our ministry theme this year is Unified. You see, as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was arrested, so our Lord continues to lift us up as his people. And he prays for us. He prays that all of them, that's us, may be one, just as, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, he says. And then he goes on in verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In this final prayer, before our Lord's time of suffering, he could have prayed about many things for us. And he could have prayed that we would have a stronger faith or a, a more vibrant prayer life. He could have prayed for our safety uh, or our security, our success in this world. But he didn't. He prayed that we would be one. May they be brought to complete unity in verse 23 to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Complete unity, unified. The Apostle Paul in our epistle for today picks up on that same theme when he urges believers to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And then he writes, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And then he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. If you listen carefully, or if you look at that passage again, you'll see that the, that the word one is used seven times. God knows that if we're going to make a difference in the world that he has given to us, we as believers in Christ must come together around his word and his sacraments to be one, to be unified. It's a fact that unity from amongst two or more people gets its virtue completely outside of themselves. In fact, unity is neutral until it's given a goodness or a badness by someone else. For example, we remember in Scripture when Herod and Pilate in the Gospels, they, they were unified by their, by their common scorn for the Lord Jesus Christ. But that was not a good unity. Or on the other hand, we see how Paul and Silas in Acts 16, when they're in prison in Philippi and, and they're singing and praising God and witnessing to everyone there, boy, that was a good unity, wasn't it? 
I think about the unified vote of my home congregation in the mid-60s to forbid blacks from coming to the altar for common cup for Holy Communion. That was not a good unity. Or the unified vote of some Christian denominations to bless scripturally forbidden sexual acts. That's not a good unity. So what about our unity? Where does it come from? What does it consist of? I want to point out at least four aspects of God's provision and goodness that bring us together and unify us. First of all, let's talk about the source of unity. In verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity that God gives to us in the church is not something that we can conjure up. No different from every other organization in the world, our unity is God-given. It's of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the great giver of unity. And as we see here in Him, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. When you are baptized, you are baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean that, that we're all going to be the same. Uh, as verse 7 says later in this, in this chapter, it says, Each one of us has been given different gifts of grace. We're all different. We have different opinions, different ways of thinking, different backgrounds, different personalities, different passions in life. And we can go on and on and on. And yet we all have a God-given unity from the Holy Spirit who has given us that one faith, that one Lord, that one baptism. If you've ever served on a committee or a team in the church, like a, a building committee or a personnel committee or any other kind of, of, of team in the church, you know that there are lots of different personalities and opinions. And there have been times in my ministry, I look back now, and I consider it a miracle that we ever got anything done in the church because we are truly unique. We're all different. And yet it's God the Holy Spirit working through the word and the sacrament who brings to us a goodness that is outside of ourselves. It's a grace beyond ourselves to empower us then to come together, to become unified in that body that we call the church. A second aspect of our unity is the truth that we celebrate. God the Holy Spirit in giving unity has given us a playbook to speak about the foundation and, the, and some of the practical aspects of the unity that we have. It's called the scriptures, the Holy Bible. It is the truth of God's own revealed word. And, and scripture clearly leads us, first of all, to the saving grace of Jesus as our Savior. But then it becomes a guideline for us, kind of a playbook for us to celebrate and to live that truth. Here in our passage, we see some of the practical building blocks mentioned today. The passage says, first of all, that we are to be completely humble. That's when we recognize that life's just not about me. And that we, we give God all the credit, all the glory. And as a result, we don't think so highly of ourselves. I enjoyed reading a story by Walter Cronkite, the famous broadcaster, when he tells about sailing in the shallow waters of the Mystic River in Connecticut. And as he was sailing, a motorboat just flew past him uh, and they were shouting and waving their arms and Cronkite, what does he do? He smiles back and he waves and, and that's when his wife asked him, do you know what they were saying to you? He said, well, I'm sure that they recognize me and so they were saying, hello, Walter. <laughs> 
She shook her head at him and said, no, they didn't. They were shouting, low water, low water. <laughs> God calls us to be humble. Secondly, gentle. That's when we put others even beyond, above ourselves. Thirdly, patient, that we experience and live out that long-suffering and thirdly, that we bear with one another. We're not so critical of others who are, aren't like me, who don't think like me or act like me. The unity that we experience in the church cannot be built upon the latest cultural survey or even a most recent court decision. What binds us together is the truth. It's the truth of God's word calling us to serve. One hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. A third aspect of our unity is the commitment that we have. You know, when you read the New Testament, the one thing that binds people together, the people of God at least, is a rugged commitment to love one another. Especially, we are told, those of the household of faith. In Galatians 6.10, Paul says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Of all the people in the world, we have a commitment and an obligation, as Paul writes here under the Spirit, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace with those of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a special place in our hearts for fellow believers. We care for them. We pray. We encourage. We support. And the final aspect of our unity is the purpose of our unity. The spirit-given unity in the church is meant to have two aims or two main purposes. The first is to witness to the world. Jesus says in John 13, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our spirit-given unity is not just for a feel-good organization. The affection and concern that we have for one another in the unity of the spirit becomes a witness to the world. It becomes that that speech that is seasoned with salt, the light of the world. Jesus, in fact, prays in John 17, I pray that they may be one so that the world may believe that you sent me. Our unity in Christ is a signal to others that Jesus is alive here in this church and that we are serious in carrying out his great commission to make disciples of all nations. God's love not only then binds us together in unity, but that same love always then reaches out and attempts to include others. We hope and pray that others would look at us, at the unity of our church, and say, you know, even though I'm not a part of your church right now, there might be room for me there too. And I need that connection with God and others too. When we practice our unity, not only then are we witnesses to those around us, but secondly... Our aim is to honor God and give him all the glory. In Romans 15, we read, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among your, amongst yourselves so that as you follow Christ Jesus, so that you will with one heart and mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this world of division and animosity and self-centeredness, the fact that we can get along with each other and experience the peace of God in our unity, even though we are so different, it brings glory to God. We honor Him. Well, we have to ask then the question, what now? What are the implications of God the Holy Spirit giving us 
unity. Well, in our lesson we read in verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And while unity is a gift and a blessing from God, it, 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 Paul is implying here that you have to work at it. It's not easy to keep. It can be taken away from you. In fact, there is some, someone who would like nothing more than to break up the unity that we are striving for here at Cornerstone. And that someone is Satan himself. One of his age-old tactics is to divide and conquer. Satan would like nothing more than to have you focus on yourself, your opinions, your likes, your dislikes. It's been said of Satan that if he can't defeat us, he'll divide us. And when we lose focus on Christ as our Savior and the mission that he has given to us, our self-centeredness can cause the unity that we so desire and pray for to be damaged and destroyed. The one who, as Jesus said, comes to steal and kill and destroy is always lurking within the church to break us apart. So what can we do with God's help? Well, first of all, we continue to seek the fullness of the Spirit because the Spirit is the one who gives us unity. Our unity will only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Do not be drunk with wine because that's debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that continues to work in us and through us as we are nourished by the Word of God to produce in us the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that empowers us to be humble and gentle and to be able to bear with one another in love. You can't do it on your own. So make it a point to use the means or of power and grace that God has given to you and me, namely his word and sacrament, and that's what binds us together. Secondly, what can we do with God's help? We need to be more amazed that we are forgiven than that we are right. Let me say that again. Be more amazed that you're forgiven than that you're right. Aren't you amazed that even though God knows you perfectly, he still loves you? That's called grace. And that's the same grace given to you and me that we take with us then as we deal with others. So often what breaks down unity is the notion that I'm right and you're wrong. Our hollow opinions often create strife in our families, our churches, and instead we, we treat others, especially in the household of faith, God calls us to treat one another with grace, the grace that has first been given to you. And as amazed as I am that I'm forgiven, then I can put up with you too. I can forgive you and love you. Thirdly, with God's help, we love and serve across boundaries. For the sake of our witness to the world and the honoring of God who loves us, together as a church, we seek to show real compassion to people beyond ourselves, people that are different from us. The power of God's grace moves within us beyond our own comfortable boundaries to reach, to care, to build others, to know God's love in Christ. Recently, my wife and I traveled out west with my daughter and our four and seven-year-old grandchildren. We covered about 4,500 miles. We saw some beautiful country. But can you imagine being in the car for 87 hours over 12 days we separated the two kids, otherwise they, they would be needling each other and fighting with each other. At one of our meals, though, I overheard 
our four-year-old granddaughter, Elizabeth, lean over to our seven-year-old grandson and say, I want to sit by you, Charlie. I like you. You are my best friend. Now, that was a small miracle indeed. But what do you think happens when our Heavenly Father sees a church called Cornerstone Lutheran striving with all of our uniqueness and idiosyncrasies and diversities and all the different talents that we have coming together, coming together in a unified way to carry out the mission that he has given to us to reach, care, and build people in Christ. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. I believe a smile comes across our Heavenly Father when he sees a church where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. So together, as our scripture says for today, with God's help, we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Amen.